When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your etiquette questions on ice teaspoon placement, escorting etiquette, declining food at a regular group event, and how to let someone know they overexposed your home when posting pics. All that, plus some amazing global feedback from Germany and Canada, and a postscript segment on the art of the handshake, coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. We're still here. And and we really mean it. We're proud to be produced (laughs) by the Emily Post Institute. That is mostly the people in the room here. That's Lizzie Post and Dan Post-Senning and Chris Albertine and our intrepid intern, Michaela. (laughs) Go, Michaela. Exactly. And it's also all of you. You are a big part of the show. And we wanted to take today's intro to have a, a bit of a meta discussion and to thank all of you for sticking with us through what was a big transition for us. For helping us through that transition, too. I know we had the the grammar question a couple weeks ago where we Mm -hmm. talked about, is it helpful to write in to people about their mistakes and things like that? It is helpful. It always comes with the, oh, man, we got to fix that. No joke. We always have that moment. But at the same time, if we didn't know about it, boy, egg on our faces out there. So thank you to everybody who's written in and said, hey, guys. Sounds like, you know, maybe something happened or for some reason this episode isn't playing right or um, I can't find this thing here. Why do it is not showing up in Google Play? How do I access the RSS feed for that? Like, it's helpful. Absolutely. Your feedback has really helped us improve our feed, get us on more platforms, communicate with our sponsors about what you like to hear and what you're really interested in. It's also really helped with our editing and To that end, look to, in the future, cleaner edits coming in and out of our sponsor spots. We appreciate all of you. We also really appreciate our sponsors. They're a big part of making this show possible. And um, we want to continue to serve them as well as we want to continue to serve all of you. And while you've helped us find a lot of the mistakes, you've also given us a lot of support along the way. Just like they support us, you support us. And we really, really appreciate it. And we wanted to say that at the the top of today's show because it is so important to us. What I think I love is that our audience, you all have so reflected what we feel, which is a huge amount of gratitude to American public media for getting us started, keeping us going, have amazing producers like Chris Roberts and Hans Buto. 
And those things got us going. They got you with us. And we're so grateful for that. And you actually comment on that when you tell us how excited you are that we've, you all say we emancipated ourselves. It's very cute. And so, but it's been so wonderful to have that support and have it be so etiquette to have it be so polite and have it be so recognizing all the very good things. And we're so grateful for that. I want to add Brendan and Rico to the list. Oh my goodness. I don't want to say they never go away. I say they're always going to be like our start. You know what I mean? They're always going to be the start of awesome etiquette. The intrepid hosts of the Dinner Party Download, a remarkable radio show that really was our introduction to this world of radio and podcast. And I'm even going to go back even further. further. I'm going to go back to my podcast ancestors, the PFW crew, the Patriots Football Weekly podcast that I've been listening to since the early 2000s. (laughs) Um, Dan Savage and the Savage Love Podcast, an advice podcast. It's a little explicit, so I I, I don't reference it often, but (laughs) his format for giving advice that's really based in consideration and respect is one of my foundations. And then also the Partially Examined Life, which is a philosophy podcast that I don't mention often on this show, but it's for... Men who uh, they introduced their podcast saying who used to do who used to think they would do philosophy for a living and then thought better of it. Is and, it for F O U R or F O R? F O U R. Okay, just checking. I was like, what do you mean it's for men? Why can't I be? What do you? What is this? What are you talking about? And then I was like, wait, Lizzie, numbers, numbers, F O R, F O U R. Hosted by me. four men, and they often yeah. have guests, so yeah. it's not always an, an all male discussion, gotcha. but it's conversational in that, nature. <laughs> and I really learned from that conversation. Yeah. It's it's been um. It's been a treat listening to them. They're doing great work right now. That's one I I would recommend people give a listen. (laughs) But we digress. Really, we want to focus on thanking you for sticking with us. And as Dan and I now have three or four new jobs that we didn't have before, we are so still loving this job of getting to talk to you and talk about etiquette and answer your questions and hear your thoughts. I am not kidding that that you really do help us shape what comes to the future for etiquette. It really helps us to understand, hey, wait a second. Um, you know, the response that we get so helps us have a broader picture of of what Americans and even all of our our friends around the globe are thinking about our behavior and how we interact. We're so grateful for that. So keep it coming. Keep those questions coming. Keep the feedback and salutes coming. And We've got more coming for you. we got more stuff to talk about. And as we hit our groove, yeah. making the show better and better and better as we find our stride, it's yeah. easier and easier to produce every week, and that gives us room to really think about where we want to go next. So... Oh, Help take us in those directions, Lizzie Post. Yes, because we did. I did something so fun on Friday. So many of you have heard me mention my good friend, uh, Kelly Williams-Brown. She's the author of a book, Adulting. Her new book, Gracious, is going to be coming out April 4th. But Gracious is a fabulous book. And I got a real surprise. We were FaceTiming Friday night. And Kelly and I, when we FaceTime, usually it takes three hours. And there are outfit changes. And I'm not, <laughs> Dan's just laughing because he knows us both. So he knows what that must look look like. And yes, this is probably why I'm single, because I spent a Friday night in FaceTiming with Kelly and changing outfits. Anyway, very girly. So we're FaceTiming and 
we're talking about the launch of her book and we're talking about the launch of the 19th edition that's coming out. So we're both two, you know, young women authors going through book launches this spring. And and she says, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, I was going to save this, but let's do it now. And I was like, what are you talking about, Kelly? And she wanted to live stream her opening the package that had the first book that she got, fun. the first printed really book of, of her book, Gracious. And so this was so much fun. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, and I'm like, this is awesome. And so I get to see somebody do this because I've never done a Facebook live stream. And she just, bloop, bloop. She set her computer up next to her. So they weren't watching me on the computer with her, but mm-hmm. she let them know that I was, quote unquote, in the room. And she opens her book and she tells everybody about the book a little bit. She reads a little excerpt of it. She kind of says where things came from, how she's feeling about the book. Very reflective moment. And then she did the the like most surprising thing this was so great she reads the back cover of the book and they used my quote that I had sent in after I read the book and was like okay like you know authors seek quotes from other authors and that's something that we get asked to do all the time but it's a real honor when your friend asks you to do it and you never know if they're going to choose your quote or not and so she's reading it and then she goes and on the back there's a quote from Lizzie Post and I was like oh my gosh (laughs) like I can't believe you used it but it was so much fun and such a surprise. And I loved that Facebook live stream thing. Which I, I couldn't believe you had never heard of before. I know. Shut up. I'm so behind. It's just because I like keeping stuff simple. But we thought it might be fun to live stream this introduction someday. One and day. we would love to bring all of you into the studio with us for a little taste. And it would take a little bit of coordination because we have to think about it ahead of time because we, of course, record the show before it comes out. So it couldn't be a live version of the recording. <laughs> but... Um, it's something we've been thinking about and something we look forward to maybe bringing into the mix sometime soon. Woohoo! Well, we want to thank you once again for sticking with us and for valuing etiquette in your lives. And now it's probably time to talk about the etiquette in our audience's life. <laughs> let's do it. So with no further ado, let's get to some of our listeners' questions. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. 
That's StoryWorth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners, it's manners with an S, to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. The heart of awesome etiquette is answering your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. I can't believe it's 132 episodes and we finally get to this question. And I want to apologize if anyone has written in and we we didn't get to it. But, but this was the first time I saw this question and it blew my mind that it took 132 episodes to get us here. This is about the iced tea spoon. Dun, dun, dun. Hello. I desire to know, where do you place long-handled iced tea spoons at a luncheon and at a dinner table setting? Please. In the South, we drink a lot of iced teas with just about everything. Thank you, Mrs. Buckles. Mrs. Buckles, I am so glad that you asked this question. This is actually a very problematic etiquette question. And it's problematic for two reasons. Number one, you have a wonderful region that I'm very fond of, the South, where you do drink quite a lot of iced tea with just about everything. It's often just commonly served almost like the ubiquitous water glass, you know. And you have a culture that really values etiquette and a lot of the form that comes around it, I will say that the, the formality varies greatly based on all kinds of different things. But I will say that the form, the properness of it, the I can expect something and I know what's expected of me with this thing is very valued in the South. And I would say that what is so incredibly difficult about the iced teaspoon is that it's often a very pretty spoon, very long, very elegant. And practical. It serves a purpose when you're having tea and sweet tea. Yes, to mix the sugar, to mix the ice without having to, you know, go all the way down and get your fingers wet. I mean, it's it's really quite an elegant utensil. I'm very impressed with the iced teaspoon. However, the iced teaspoon often comes out without what it should have, which is a saucer. When you serve iced tea in a very tall, thin glass with the iced teaspoon, the rule is that you either leave the spoon in if you don't have anywhere to place it, or it should be placed on its own saucer that comes out with it. But many restaurants and sometimes hosts forget to put out that saucer for the iced teaspoon, specifically leaving the person to either have to leave the the spoon in the glass while they drink. Not so much a problem if you have a straw, but a real problem if a straw hasn't been provided because then... You know, you can exactly picture it. I mean, I'm doing the gesture in the studio and y'all can't see it. But, you know, you're trying to hold something against the back of the glass while you tilt it. And now it's poking you in the eye or the nose if you have a nose like mine. Like, you know, this can happen. It's awkward. So your other option is to take it out and put it on your bread plate. Now, what if you haven't had a bread plate provided for you for that particular meal? Which, a little less likely, but still. And some people don't want their wet spoon sitting on a bread plate that then's going to have your bread, which you don't want to get soggy. I mean, it's problematic. Please, 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 if you're going to serve iced tea with an iced tea spoon, serve it with 
an iced tea saucer or a small saucer, something to collect those spoons in so that people don't have to deal with them or serve it with a straw so that you can properly drink it. I don't like the idea of drinking with, this is just me personally, I don't like the idea of having to drink with my spoon in my glass. It's not fussy. It's just, it's annoying. It's not practical. That's why I don't like it. No, it's not practical. And the other sort of point of etiquette that comes into play is that you're not supposed to take utensils that have been in the food or in the drink in this case and put them back on the table. Right. You would never put it on the tablecloth or table. The tablecloth can be laundered, but that doesn't mean you have license or that you (laughs) want to make a mess of it. And I'm imagining that maybe the top of the plate would be a place you, you might put the spoon down, Absolutely. but it's not ideal, particularly if you haven't yeah. eaten yet. If it's a clean plate and you're waiting for first service, that would seem to me not ideal either. So it's definitely a bit of a problem. I like the idea of a saucer to clear up the whole situation. Well, and you hear us laughing because this has been the problem with iced teaspoons is that there is a practical way to go about making this work very smoothly and easily for the diner, but it's often not implemented. And that is the problem. It's not that there isn't a right way to use the iced teaspoon. It's that often the accompanying saucer is left out of the equation, really causing a conundrum. I mean, these are big problems, big problems here, big problems. But Clearly, but it's not the first time we've heard this no, question. It, it comes up repeatedly. And yeah. there is the, the added work of providing a saucer every time you're serving iced tea. It's another thing to manage. And if you are serving it all the time, the the dinner service where you've got a more formal place setting, it might be awkward. Well, it, But it might also occur to you to bring that saucer, oh, whereas oh, for the I luncheon, that's a little more informal. You might not be thinking about providing saucers for everybody or every restaurant that serves iced tea isn't thinking about providing a saucer for that spoon. But that would be, I think, the technically correct answer to this question. Mrs. Buckles, we hope that this has given you some of our perspective on the iced teaspoon and the conundrum that it causes. However, I apologize that we aren't able to give a really fabulous, this is immediately how you solve this answer. We are hoping that more restaurants and more hosts will provide saucers so that this makes it easier on their guests. This is a story about what to do on a date. Of course, you may not have a problem about what to do on a date, but Nick, well, he has a real dating problem. Our next question is about escorting etiquette. Greetings. I know that a man should always walk on the left side of a lady, but what if the lady ends up walking on the left side? How does the man politely go on the left side once more without walking in front of her? Most respectfully, M.E. Perez. Well, he could walk behind her to get to the other side. Sorry, I just totally that. I did, we didn't have that in the show notes. I'm jumping on Dan's toes. But I was just thinking he doesn't have to walk in front of her. He could walk no, behind her fact, to get I, to the I other would side. Suggest, I would suggest If you were going to switch yeah. sides with someone, that you yeah. would not cut across yeah. in front of them. But this is a little more interesting of a well, question. And I, I want to start off by giving credit where credit is due. <laughs> the, Lizzie mentions the show notes. And when I first saw the show notes for this show... I was thinking to myself, now, where did this come from, this tradition of walking on the the left-hand side? (laughs) And in the show notes was the suggestion that perhaps it had to do with the origin of many of our manners being in the Middle Ages and medieval times, and particularly chivalrous manners, manners that are based on the chivalric code. And Lizzie had had mentioned that maybe with the sword for many right-handed people often being worn in a left-handed scabbard on the left side of the body, that it would make the most sense for a man to have a woman on his right 
she having the man on her left, so that that sword was free should the man need to use it. And well, a little, so we don't injure her if he needs to use it, you know? A little bit of research revealed that, yes, indeed, this is one of the stated origins for this tradition, but it, it, it made perfect sense to my cousin, and she came up with it all on her own, although she did not just make this one up. Um, it, It's also true that more contemporary manners from more modern times dictate that the man often walks on whichever side of the woman is on the street side. That there is also a a traditional etiquette that says that when you're walking down the, the street with a woman, when you're walking on the sidewalk, that the man walks on the side that is closest to traffic to protect her. And, and both from, splashes, from the right? both from the danger of the cars whizzing by. <laughs> cars actually used to be much more dangerous. There there is a new courtesy about manners behind the wheel that has also <laughs> emerged as these vehicles have become more ubiquitous. But also from splashes, as yes. my cousin Lizzie says. But I've heard argument too for the man walking on the woman's right in more modern times when we're not dealing with scabbards and swords, because as you approach alleyways, someone who is lurking about, hoping to steal from someone or. or otherwise cause um, fright, you would protect her from that potential person. So if you were walking... A lot of protecting ladies while we walk. The streets are dangerous. If you were walking on the (laughs) right-hand side of the street, that means the left hand would be protecting from the road, the right-hand side would be protecting from alleyways and things like that. So whichever would provide greater protection Protection. would be the side that the man would walk on. And this is also a a bit of a dated etiquette at this point. A little bit like swords (laughs) (laughs) being the main consideration for what side. But we do adhere to certain traditions. So the tradition has emerged that the man has the woman on his right arm. She walks with the man on her left. Maybe this is his strong arm. His steady arm is his right arm. So that's another way that you might think about the origin of this particular tradition. And the very first note that I made when I thought about this, well, this is a lovely nod to tradition. This is definitely someone who's been schooled in some really traditional etiquette. and, And that's a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing. We love that. But I also just simply had the thought, well, not in any real formal capacity have my dates or have my boyfriends or, you know, gentlemen in my life really invoked this rule of etiquette. And so I was sitting there going, well, even if you are on her left, she might have no clue that you should be on the other side or something like that. So I really don't think you're going to cause much offense. But offering an arm is always a gentlemanly thing. I love holding an arm when I walk. I think it's very romantic. Even if the romance isn't there as friends, it can also just be lovely, in my opinion. Not all women hold that opinion, which is why you should always offer an arm. And if she says, no, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I love that idea of offering your arm. If you want to be, if you want to adhere to those traditional standards, you can always offer your right arm. I wouldn't worry about scampering back and forth from side to side. I think that there's a certain elegance and grace and confidence to just behaving well and in a way that doesn't unsettle other people. So I wouldn't be thinking about switching back and forth all the time to be constantly protecting a woman. Um, And the other thought that occurs to me in this particular situation is something that comes up when we think about what manners to hold on to and which ones to let go. Uh, There's another part of the chivalric code that was very common in Emily's day, but you hear less about today. As people thought about tradition in Emily's time, when was the last time you saw a man lay his jacket or coat down in a mud puddle for a woman to walk across? I would never want someone to ruin a coat that way. No. And at one point in time, maybe when dresses were even more formal, were more special, were long, when streets were muddier, this was an incredibly, incredibly generous maneuver or gesture for a man to make. And 
we don't hear about people hanging on to that one quite as much. So yeah, traditions practicality. do change and evolve, <laughs> and, and we can honor that also. One final thought is that um, I was recently in New York City with my friend John, and I had forgotten that he hears better out of one of his ears. And so he would always say, here, I'm going to switch sides with you. He would let me know that we were going to switch sides so he could hear me better. And so that was one thing where you can always let a lady know, here, let me walk on your left and then move behind her to walk on the left. Don't cut her off in front. Like Dan had mentioned, moving behind is the more elegant way to do this. But I just wanted to say it is okay to speak up if one side for you, maybe you strained an arm recently, broken or something like that. It's always okay to communicate. Emmy Perez, thank you so much for your question. We really love being able to talk a little bit of traditional etiquette and how it's evolved, changed, and can still be utilized in today's modern society. Our next question is titled Camera Shy. Dear Dan and Lizzie, what is the etiquette in terms of taking and sharing pictures of somebody else's home? I recently had a guest at a gathering at my home, let's call her Snappy Sally, who took a lot of pictures and later uploaded them to Facebook and Instagram and later all of them to Flickr. Oh dear. I was flattered that she thought my home was attractive and interesting enough to take dozens of photos of, but she never asked permission to take them or to upload them to semi-private and public platforms, and I felt like my privacy had been breached as anyone could see a virtual catalog of my possessions. Pictures of a gathering are fine with me, but I would never go on to photograph literally every room in someone's home without asking, let alone upload them all to the internet. I felt like my privacy had been breached and my hospitality had been taken advantage of. When I contacted her and asked her to take them down, she was hurt and embarrassed and did not think that she had done anything wrong. I would like to know, what should I say if someone does anything like that again? Regards, Camera Shy Host. Oh, Camera Shy Host, I feel so so badly for you and your friend. I guarantee your friend had no intention of exposing your life, and it sounds like you definitely understand that. But you feel so exposed, and it is a wrong at a level that does need to be pointed out. The question is how to point it out tactfully. And how do you let someone know that they have made you really uncomfortable and even from a safety perspective violated your hospitality in such a way without actually saying that? Um, One of the things that I think people forget When someone has made such a big error like this, clearly they weren't thinking about the repercussions or the potential negative side of this. They're just excited about your home and the things they see in it and they want to share it. And we all share so many photos these days. How could you not think that that's totally appropriate? The check wasn't in place. The the check that kind of balances the act wasn't Mm -hmm. in place. And um, you want to both respect the fact that this person upon hearing just a little bit of, of why this made you uncomfortable, would then pick up and, and in their own brain go down the road of, oh, of course, I didn't even think of that. Yet you you want to leave room for that, but you also want to make it clear just in case this person who has just shown how very absent-minded they are in this regard, you get to this fine territory of how much do you school and how much do you explain when you let this person know that an offense was caused. And it's a very delicate situation. As you described, your friend was really hurt to find out that you were upset by this. And my response would vary based on 
were they hurt and being defensive or were they hurt and understanding? Because if they're hurt and being defensive, I think you do have a right to explain your position. Say, you know, you know, everyone takes so many pictures nowadays, and I don't think they realize that that's actually really exposing a lot of people's possessions and their personal life without realizing it. That would be a gentle way to if she's not picking up what you're throwing down when you say, hey, I really wasn't comfortable with having, you know, every room of my house up on Flickr. Um, that would be the gentle way of explaining it. The You know, you don't need to go down the route of don't you even understand how much that exposes my life? That's something you may really want to say, but that's the one you want to hold back from. I like that. I'm reminded of the the imitation is the highest form of flattery. Yeah, right. In some ways, <laughs> this is one of those cases where it's something that's as bad as being sort of copied in an explicit way yeah. that is really wrong is an, yeah. an etiquette faux pas. At the same time, you could also perceive this as flattery, that someone was so impressed or... Um, felt inspired to share because she thought your home was so beautiful. And I think you could also get just a little bit of of, of mention or honoring the, the, the good place that it may have come Absolutely. from into that that request that it comes down. You know, I am so flattered that you thought that you would like to share pictures of my home with your followers on X, Y, or Z. Yeah. But I, I'm not used to being out in public quite like that, if you could please take them. Now, that might be another way to soften that language just Absolutely. a little bit and, and honor her good intentions. And setting that boundary. And, you know, a lot of us, we don't even think when someone's taking a pictures at parties, things like that. We don't even think about it. And then all of a sudden you might see the photos online and it's that, oh, my goodness moment where you go, whoa, that's a little more exposure than I wanted. Or that particular picture we just don't need to have up public and permanent. And it's okay then to to say, hey, I didn't even realize it till I kind of saw all the photos up there that this really made me uncomfortable. A couple photos, sure. Every room in my house, that's it's it was just it was too many to feel okay. I also want to leave you with the thought, sort of reassure you a little bit that I don't think you did anything wrong here, that it really is up to all of us to manage our own privacy in a world where more and more is being shared all the time. And there is nothing inappropriate about asking someone who's put up pictures that you don't want online to take them down. You can't always force someone to, but you can always ask. And we oftentimes recommend that that's a good first course of action. And the the quality of that ask, how you manage that ask, I think is really likely to determine the kind of response that you get. I don't think in this case this person would ever have refused to take the pictures down. Doesn't seem like but it. But there might even be other situations that arise where keeping the relationship less contentious makes it more likely that you're going to get the end result that you're looking for. So I think that you're really wise to be thinking about the quality of that ask and how to manage it with tact and poise. Thank you for that question. In this world that we live in, this is a fast emerging territory for etiquette, and it's nice to have a chance to address it. Our next question is titled, Would it be all right? Hello, awesome etiquette team. First of all, congratulations on your emancipation. See, I knew I got the word from somewhere. I heard Hans on a new podcast called Terrible Thanks for Asking, and it made me reminiscent of the time he was on your show. I'm really enjoying the podcast and the changes that are being made so that it's run in-house by the Emily Post Institute. Again, thank you so much for that. It is messages like that that we, we really are very grateful to hear. I know you've certainly answered questions similar to the question that I'm about to ask, but not exactly the same. My husband and I attend a weekly group where the couple that hosts a small group provides pizza every week. It's very generous of them. 
My husband has a problems with dairy and mentioned it to the group the first time we went. Since then, no other options have been brought up, so he usually grabs a bite to eat before the group. My friend and I are both trying to be healthy, and we are both members of the group and have decided that we no longer would like to eat the pizza every week. I'm not sure how to bring this up in group, as they are very generously providing the pizza every week. I don't want to appear ungrateful, but I really would like to make healthier choices throughout the week. What's the best course of action? Should my friend, my husband, and I just grab something else to eat before group and say we won't be eating the pizza? Or should we get different food and bring it to the group? One option may be to bring a salad to share, but we can't really afford to do that every week as we feed our other small group the next night. Any thoughts would be welcome. We are new members to the group and don't have a long-standing relationship to the host, although they are really nice. Thanks so much for reading my questions and hosting my favorite podcast, which is saying a lot as I also listen to Finding Richard Simmons and Accused. Woo! That's some good company to be in. Thank you for your question and for including us in such illustrious company. And this is one of those questions that I really enjoy because I get to say, I think you're doing everything right here. I really, really? I do. I, I think that um, you're new to the group, and this really appears to be a pizza party group. And I think that it would be awkward to join the group and then say, you know what, this pizza party thing really doesn't work for us. <laughs> so if everyone could change, I'd really appreciate that. <laughs> um, and, and you're aware of that. You're looking at your standing here. And that being the case, and for many, many people, cheese on pizza being a standard, it's not going to be the easiest ingredient to remove from the menu. Right, right, um, right. If we're going with pizza, this is kind of a part of the deal. That, that means that if you're going to continue to participate, you've got to manage the way you participate and not really ask other people to change what they're doing. And you're doing the two things that I think would make the most sense. One, you're eating a little bit before you go, so you're not dependent upon the meal. You can still enjoy that social activity and engagement. And you're thinking, could I maybe bring something that would start to change this menu a little bit, but not not in a change way, but in an add-to way. And the idea of bringing a salad, I think, is a great one. It's the first thought that popped into my mind as I started to read your question. And then I got to the part where you said, but we can't really afford to do this all the time. I would say the best is often the enemy of the good. Mm -hmm. Don't say I'm never going to do it because I couldn't afford to do it every time. Maybe offer, give it a try, bring a salad. You never know. Other people might really like it and decide they're going to make a similar offer other weeks moving forward, the hosts might do it on their own. Well, don't forget, too, she's got a pal in the salad department. I mean, she's got this other woman who's a part of the group, her friend. I think it's I think it's another woman who's also deciding to eat healthier and wants to, to not be eating pizza every Friday night. So my first thought is alternate with the other person bringing a salad. But I actually do think that there's one thing she's going to need to do if we've got now three guests are pretty much saying we're no longer eating pizza. Well, three people is probably about a pizza's worth of food. And, you know, maybe a little bit less. Maybe you get four people on one large pizza. But that becomes the amount of people in my mind where it's not just the husband who's now not participating, where you'd really want to let, let the host know so that the host isn't buying food for people who aren't going to eat it. And I think that given the, the nature of the, the group, that it is a group setting that comes every single week, 
that it would be okay to say, hey, Betsy, I just wanted to let you know, like, I've I've decided that, you know, with Greg not eating cheese and with me trying to kind of join him on eating some different foods more regularly, <laughs> that way you're not putting down the pizza, um, that don't, don't worry about counting us in on the pizza, but we're so excited to still be coming to the group. Like, it's such a nice time for us on Friday night. I, I, I you would think, yeah, maybe I, they kind of did that. My husband has problems with her and mentioned it to the group the first time we went. He did, but now you've got two other people who are joining that, and I think that's enough people that it's time to it's time to voice it and let your host know that you're not intending to eat that food. The way you just said it wouldn't bother me wouldn't as a offend host. You. <laughs> no, okay, no, because you're 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 approaching it from the perspective of don't don't worry about ordering a bunch for us. Yeah, and I and I like that approach, but you're not asking them to change yeah. either, which you can even state this is just for practicality i thought i'd let you know so that you know if if you're counting us in that that i didn't want you to be spending money where you didn't need to have to you know maybe take a look and see if there's a lot of pizza left over and if there is you might mention it in that context that might provide an opportunity if everything seems to be eaten i might just not say anything anything. but i think that that's a reasonable way to go if you notice that happening because i do think there's a certain courtesy to the host there that that well, you're mentioning. Yeah, and it can be a little awkward as a host if you don't know why somebody's not eating. And I know that, that why you don't eat is absolutely a personal thing. But when you invite someone over to your house and you're telling them that you're providing dinner and then they show up and they don't partake in any of it, that would raise questions for me as a host. I would, I would want to know if I'm doing something wrong or if I'm not meeting their needs or how I could meet their needs. So don't be surprised if you take Dan's approach and if you don't say anything because all the pizza is getting eaten, which is a, is a valid practical thought. I mean, it's like, why, why raise an issue if you don't have to, right? But at the same time, if that host approaches you and say, hey, I noticed that for like the past few weeks, you and Greg and Betsy haven't been eaten. What's like, do you, is everything okay? That's when it would give you the opportunity to say, oh, you know, because everyone was finishing the pizza, we didn't think we'd bring it up. But, you know, we actually are staying away from from pizza. You know, Greg can't eat it. And I am just trying to change my habits. And so is Betsy over here. So (laughs) but it gives you the chance to talk about it. But don't be surprised if the host notices it because you haven't brought it up. So there you go, Tracy. There are two approaches you might take to this situation. And I think that I would really trust based on the way that you Put this question to us, you to have a better sense for what the nature of this party is, whether it's the kind of thing where the host is going to notice that three of the six guests aren't (laughs) eating or whether it's the kind of pizza party where there's a real sort of boisterous mix and mingle feel and no one's really keeping track of who eats how many slices. Thank you for your question. Thank you for listening. And thank you for the encouragement on our new show. A dinner party is just one way of enjoying company of your friends. A good meal, good company, real enjoyment, that's what a dinner party is for. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, or you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-KIND. Or you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Our friend Werner from Germany has returned to us with this most wonderful feedback on German wedding customs, and we thought it was appropriate, as both Werner and our other piece of feedback today both talk about paying for meals at weddings. Here's Werner's take on German weddings. As for your topic about weddings, 
and your request to let you know about cultural differences in general. I'd like to share with you some German wedding traditions and customs that I'm pretty familiar with right now since I'm about to get married myself this July. Congratulations. Congratulations. Or best wishes, as we are supposed to say traditionally, but today we say congratulations. No, 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 we say congratulations. To begin, weddings in Germany are usually a little simpler than what they seem to be in the U.S., although there is developing a whole wedding industry promoting the newest designer wedding dresses, the must-have hip local wedding bands, and all these little decorations and giveaway stuff. I would estimate still less than 10% of bridal couples have visited one of those wedding trade fairs, and probably less than 1% have a wedding planner to support them. Fascinating. Maybe this is about to change with Hollywood also on this side of the Atlantic Ocean, influencing more and more the perception of how a real wedding is supposed to be. (laughs) Anyway, in most cases, each wedding actually consists of two separate acts that may or may not take place on the same day. The first, and for some only, event is the wedding at City Hall, where you agree in a legally binding way to be married to one another in front of a city official. The second part is the church wedding, where you again declare your intention in front of God. Well, in front of a minister. (laughs) Even people without very strong religious beliefs or ties to their local church in most cases feel the need to have their ceremony in a church, which offers additional challenges, finding a priest to offer his church for an open wedding. Huh. Werner continues to write that the concept of bridesmaids does not exist at all here. However, there are a best man and maid of honor that are witnesses at the formal act at City Hall and usually are responsible partly for organizing the party, for giving some structure to the festivities and the specific participation of guests, for example, speeches, roasts, things like that. The big party afterwards, all in all, is probably pretty much the same as it is in the U.S. Friends, family, DJ or band, lots of food and celebrating, dancing, and having fun. Most commonly, the bride's parents are paying for all wedding expenses and usually expect to be consulted for all major decisions. This is not true in our case, since we are paying for everything ourselves. We were and are in full control over all our decisions, but we, of course, still do our best to give thought to our parents' suggestions. Nevertheless, at the end of the day, it is our party, and we insist on inviting the people we care to celebrate with together, even if that means that not everybody in the very extended family category gets to participate. Depending on the specific region within Germany, there are several specifics to the party. At some rural areas here in the state of Bavaria, the guests are to pay a pre-disclosed fee to the innkeeper at the wedding location for the food they are about to be served. It is called the, and please pardon my butchering of this pronunciation, the Malgeld, M-A-H-L-G-E-L-D, which roughly translates as meal fee. In Bavarian cities as well as countryside weddings, more often than not for the first part of the wedding at City Hall, the bridal couple, best man, maid of honor, and family wear traditional Bavarian dress. As you may have seen on Oktoberfest, during the year we don't usually wear these except for special occasions. Sorry if I should disappoint you with this insight. I love that. (laughs) For the second part, the church, and also for the party, the dress code is just like how you know it. White dress for the bride and a festive suit for the groom. As I mentioned earlier, these two parts may not be on the same day or even in the same year. As is not uncommon, we ourselves did the city hall wedding, also for significant tax benefits, at the end of 2016 already, and now are looking forward to 
for us the more important part, the Catholic Church wedding and the big party with about 70 guests in July of 2017. So often people are getting married legally first, spiritually second. I was already able to use your wedding-related advice, and at some decisions and controversies thought to myself, what would Lizzie and Dan say about this specific problem? Your concept of consideration, respect, and honesty is a great and powerful guideline, and on some level, I dread the day that I will be done catching up on all your old episodes and will have to wait a full week for your next episode. But maybe I will have to apply a German saying. Here we go with lovely pronunciation again. Vorfreud ist die Schonstfreud? Maybe without all the question marks coming out of my pronunciation there. I'm sorry. But something like your state of expectation is the best joy. A play with words. Freud meaning joy or happiness. Vor meaning pre. Vorfreud, positive expectations. Yours sincerely, Werner. I mean, like, that was thorough feedback. That was awesome. And so cool to kind of hear the different traditions and and where the German customs and the German traditions are being meld with just the modern times and where the modern times haven't yet been affected the way that the U.S. culture has been affected by it. It's very fascinating, I thought. It it makes me wonder about the perception of the American wedding. Thank you, Hollywood, for communicating that everybody in America gets married a la Father of the Bride style. (laughs) Um, It's it's fun for me because I see the the traditions on the post sending side of my family. The post family tend to be sort of what we think of as a more traditional wedding, a bigger party and walking the aisles. And on the sending side of my family, the tradition has always been a justice of the peace ceremony that most of the weddings have happened almost spontaneously and in front of a justice of the peace. Oh, wow. In my family, I see both of these traditions and I like the idea of having both of them exist together. Absolutely. We had another piece of feedback about wedding etiquette from Camilla. Camilla listens to us on Vermont Public Radio. We so appreciate our Vermont audience. It's nice to get a question from someone nearby. Camilla shares a thought about uh, wedding traditions in Canada that actually applies here and reflects something that we just heard from Vernon that we didn't mention in our response. We were sort of saving. Camilla writes, Dear Lizzie and Daniel, my husband and I enjoy your program on Vermont Public Radio, and we are usually sagely nodding our heads in agreement with your advice. Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) But not the program about the response to the wedding invitation from a Quebec couple that requested $70 per person for the reception dinner. You both applied U.S. etiquette standards. Have the weddings you can afford and never charge guests you invite. However, French Quebecois from up and down the socioeconomic scale, ask guests to pay for their meals at the reception dinner. We learned this from one of our plant directors who was Quebecois and a very gracious man to work for. Different country, different customs. Thanks for a wonderful show, which should be required listening. Sincerely, Camilla. I am so grateful Me to too. hear this. Me too. So grateful to hear this. We, Camilla, you're absolutely right. And also, thank you for um, understanding what we did. We totally applied the U.S. standard to a different country. It was absent-mindedness. It was not being aware. It was assuming. It was all those things. And you're thinking you're going down the road of, oh, well, this this is how it's done. And you would never want your guests to feel imposed. And you forget for a minute, wait a second, but this is taking part in a different country. And they might not have the same preconceived notions that we have about asking guests to pay their way. And clearly, Canadians don't. As you mentioned, this gentleman is a very gracious man to work for. And it goes up and down the socioeconomic ladder. 
And as we just learned from Werner, this is a common practice in Germany as well. In fact, there's even a name for the small fee that you pay to contribute for your part of the meal when you're attending the the secondary part of the ceremony. Absolutely. So I would like to apologize. I'm going to say it to our listener who had written in about the wedding up in Canada. And we clearly didn't give the best advice on that one. And I'm so sorry because then that that has an effect. And so I think I'm going to have a little more of a keener eye towards when we are dealing with other cultures, just giving that double check. And this is the way that you become more aware. And that I appreciate the opportunity to do that, but I also appreciate the example that it provides of this is how that works. You have a mistake, you learn for it, and you're more keenly aware the next time. So my eye is going to be on the customs of other cultures when it comes to asking guests to chip in or pay or participate in some way. Thank you, Camilla, for helping us get a little bit better. And thank you to everyone who send us thoughts, comments, and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment, question, update, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. There's a technique to shaking hands. So it's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And my cousin Daniel is going to do something he does very well. And you might think that this is a simple thing that does not need a whole heck of a lot of instruction. However, handshakes are quite a complicated issue. Some of you may have noticed handshakes on your own when you go to a party or you're at a big work mixer. And if a handshake is awkward, that can be awkward. Dan, what's a proper handshake? So this is something we teach in our business etiquette seminars all the time, and we've been teaching for many, many, many years. And it's oftentimes one of the most fun slides I get to present where we talk about the proper handshake because almost always the room can help me teach the slide. I don't have to go through the bullet points. (laughs) I say, all right, all right, everybody collectively in this room, we've shaken tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of hands in our lifetimes before I bullet them out, tell me what are the elements of a good handshake? And the room starts calling them out. And sure enough, almost always the room puts up the the proper form, the best good handshake behaviors. Oh, so like they identify all the good ones. Absolutely. So unfortunately, <laughs> we can't do that today. I'm assuming that everyone out there already knows most of what I'm about to say, but I figure we'll go through it anyway. And I'm assuming that I'm just reflecting back what you <laughs> already know. That's a lot of assuming going on in positive ways. <laughs> elements of a good handshake. Look them in the eye and smile. Never underestimate the power of that eye contact and the pleasant demeanor, that that warm, receptive face that's part of a good handshake, that you make that eye contact, you look someone in the eye, that eye contact's also going to help you remember their name. You're going to offer your name. You're going to repeat the name of the person who is offering their handshake to you if that introduction is part of the handshake. Everyone is going to stand up to shake hands. You're all going to meet each other on the same level. That's going to help with that eye contact. Don't remain seated to shake someone's hand. I know that there is a certain social etiquette out there where sometimes ladies were allowed to stay seated for a handshake. Or today, to not shake a hand at all even. Today we do say that particularly business etiquette is gender neutral, so everybody's going to stand up to shake hands. You're going to meet as equals or looking eye to eye. And anyone can approach anyone and offer their hand to anyone. A woman doesn't need to give permission for a man to approach her. Anybody can approach anybody regardless of gender. If for some reason you can't stand, it is okay to shake seated. 
But generally speaking, everyone's going to stand up to shake hands. I would want to add to that, too, that that's where that eye contact and the smile become even more important. That eye contact is such a sign of respect during a handshake, such a sign of respect. And the smile is the sign of welcome. So even if you can't stand to make that um, respect happen on a on a level of we're both standing and being respectful to each other, that eye contact can communicate that very well. You're going to extend your hand out in front of you a comfortable arm's length, about 18 inches, we say, about a foot and a half in front of you. The plane of the hand is in the vertical plane. Four fingers are together. Thumb is extended up. When you meet someone, you're going to meet web to web. Oftentimes, when people are calling What is out, web to web? Well, it's that web between your <laughs> oh. thumb and your pointer finger. Okay, gotcha. That, that crook, that web, One of the that most section. common mistakes people make is when they, they hold someone's hand between their forefingers and their thumb. The sort of limp, dead fish handshake. Gentlemen, be careful. Oh. This is oftentimes the, the biggest mistake men make shaking a woman's hand. They try not to, to crush it, and they end up not fully shaking that hand. So you want to meet web to web. <laughs> How long do you hold that grip? Everyone laughs at this moment because we all know that feeling when a handshake gets a little too long and becomes awkward. Sometimes people say two to three pumps. Believe it or not, even one to two pumps is usually about enough for a good handshake. What do you do if you start to enter that too long, awkward territory? Well, I like to advise people to let go. (laughs) Oftentimes the other person is having the same thought you're having and they're waiting for that moment when this is going to end. So the best way to initiate that is to let go yourself. That's the release. You're going to take that second hand and you're going to keep it out of the equation. (laughs) Some people are really a big fan of bringing that other hand in and either cupping it over the top of the hand, the the hand hug. Sometimes there's a, a, a gesture where you place that hand underneath the other hand. It's meant to show deference or respect. You want to be careful about that. The, the single one-handed handshake is the standard for the handshake. You also don't want to grab the other person's elbow or shoulder or forearm. This is oftentimes perceived as a gesture of dominance or controlling, and you want to be really careful about not trying to appear controlling. There is another version of the handshake where you twist (laughs) and sometimes people will turn the hand over if they're if it's a man shaking a woman's hand. They will turn their hand slightly underneath as if they were to begin the gesture of offering to kiss that person's fingers or hand. This is not uh, 16th century Italy. The woman is not expecting you to to kiss her hand or even to indicate that you are prepared to if she offers. So you're going to avoid that gesture. You're also not going to twist your hand so that you come up over the top of someone. This is also often perceived as controlling or a gesture of dominance. So you're going to keep that second hand out of the equation. You're going to stay on the vertical plane, one, two pumps, the release to let go. We mentioned the the limp fish, the dead fish, the four fingers and the thumb. The other version is obviously the bone crusher. And most people know that while a firm grip is really reassuring and comforting, that as soon as that grip becomes too strong, it can really be perceived as aggressive. You don't ever want it to be perceived by someone else as painful or aggressive. A handshake is a gesture of, of peace. It says, I come in friendship. I am unarmed. I present my unarmed hand to you to shake. And the last thing you want to do is introduce uh, aggression into that gesture. Some women had told me that they had been advised to squeeze harder than they think they should. Your muscles are just not needing to be a part of your introduction or your sign of welcome when you shake somebody's hand. That is not something you need to be able to, to show as a woman in the business world and obviously not in the social world either. What do you do if a handshake goes badly? What happens if you just don't meet quite 
right. Or for, for whatever reason, there is some awkwardness. Is it okay to shake hands again? I say absolutely. I say, let's really? let's try that one more time. It's so nice to, to really? really get a good you handshake. I do because I, I trust that we're going to be able to get it if we give it a second <laughs> shot. Now, I fully admit, I just I just feel like, oh, note to self, that's a bone crusher. Or how odd. Well, what a strange I, shake. I, well, and that might be if, if, if it was the other person's aggression or yeah. gaffe, yeah. I might not say, let's do that again. But if I felt like I had failed to execute properly, I absolutely would say, oh, I did that badly. Let's let's give that another shot. It's so nice to have a nice handshake when Th- you meet someone. That I totally understand. <laughs> I was like thinking if someone else had done like the shoulder thing to me and I was like, hey, let's do that again. But without your arm up there, I was like, where are you going with this? I got you now. Now I'm with it. I'm with it. If I make the mistake, I can offer to do that again. It's so rare in today's business world that we touch each other. This is a very important gesture because it's where some physical contact is allowed. It's yeah. where two people meet and touch physically, and so much is communicated through human touch. And it is a really important gesture. That handshake is so automatic, and it is something that, you know, take any any room of seven-year-olds and walk up to them, stick your hand out. It's very hard for them to not stick their hand back because this gesture is so ingrained as our sign of welcome. For a short postscript on the handshake, that turned into a lively little discussion. The handshake <laughs> is always so much fun to talk about. We really hope that helps and that you enjoy good handshakes the next time you have the opportunity to offer one. No one likes to have his hand crushed by a bear, nor to clasp one like this, sometimes referred to as dead fish. We like to end our show on a high note, and I'm going to put the call out for your high notes. Please send us your salutes. We are hoping you're still seeing good etiquette out in the world there. Please tell us it's so. Send us your etiquette salutes for friends, family, strangers who have done good deeds, good works, where you see good etiquette um, being made a priority in the world. We want to hear about it. And today, our salute is a bit in-house, isn't it? Today's salute comes from Chris Albertine, our intrepid in-house sound man and producer of sorts. And he really wanted to thank those who take care of our roads. We record this show on a Tuesday morning, and this particular Tuesday, the northeast of the United States is bracing for a blizzard of epic proportions. And we are squeaking in this recording so we can shuttle (laughs) ourselves home before the roads become impassable and our homes become completely encased in snow. (laughs) And we were thinking about the people that take care of us all winter long, who keep the roads safe and who wake up in the middle of the night and work until the job is done. And we do so appreciate all of you and all of them. So we offer a great big etiquette salute and thanks to all of those who take care of the roads. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter. I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please, please, please help us out and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite streaming app and please leave us a review our show is edited by chris albertine and our awesome etiquette intern is michaela varanach